Hey, this is Charlie, Triple C, from Brevity Box, a new and interesting podcast from the Ruminations Radio Network. If you're a fan of podcasts, we have a lot of great content to offer. Come check out our diverse group of podcasts and hosts at ruminationsradionetwork.com. Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, the tirade-filled movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics, cool dads and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. And I'm William Johnson. No, Snappy. No. no. I give up. You got nothing? I, you get, You give nothing. up? Oh, I thought we'd make it a year, folks, but there we are. <laughs> we are coming up on one year of our podcast, and we're damn glad to have you for every episode you've ever been here for, from the first one to the current one. Ladies and gentlemen, this is all for tantrum's sake. For shared passions and high fives to wash away any place for hate. In the end, we encourage you all to love what you love. And that is a great big clue to today's very special episode. But for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. But this is a special place where our gloves are the handshaking kind. Because this week, we're talking about In the Mood for Love, Wong Kar Wai's masterpiece of Ooh, romance. Used masterpiece? I did. Said it out loud. Put oh, it on tape, y'all. Monkeys. Uh, this is a special event that was recommended and hosted by Will Johnson, who's going to tell you all about how this episode came to be. Yes, sir. Well, you know, I, I recommended we record an intro because it would not feel, I'm going to be honest with you, and maybe this is cheesy, but it would not feel like a Cinephile History Fit episode without Don in some capacity. So that's why we're doing the intro, but, uh, and I'm not going to spoil too much because I want you guys to enjoy the conversation, but... Essentially, what happened was um, we. This was. I'm going to call this our second live show. Our first live show, you'll notice there is no recording for because there was a little bit of a snafu technology wise, and it's a lost recording. It's the it's the long lost uh, episode of Cinephile Hissy Fit where uh, I did a live show in Phoenix with future guest uh, Shelley Grant. Um, and we screened Scream 4, did an intro, kind of talking about Wes Craven, and um, and then we took like questions and gave trivia away and stuff like that, but the, the episode was lost, and I'm sure this will make Aaron White happy, but I'm sure we'll have Tom Holland and Uncharted track it down. I'm sure he'd love that. He would love that. Um, yeah, he loves he loves the Uncharted movie. With yeah, Tom maybe Holland. maybe someone can hold Tom Holland's hand because he can't carry a movie to be able to find all that. <laughs> Yes, well, that <laughs> that this witty repartee between us is kind of, you know, we've had to kind of revisit the history with a year in. So let me let me set the scene here. So we've had uh, we had a wonderful guest on named Lauren Knight back in the Suicide Squad days, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever that was. I don't remember what month that was because August. Is, it was right. August. Okay, so back mm-hmm. in August we had Lauren Knight on. Now Lauren is a film programmer at majestic which was formerly the alamo draft houses here in phoenix now it's its own independent theater and um you know uh our local kind of indie bar closed film bar it, it shut down it just finally succumbed to the pandemic and um i was looking to uh you know get get word out about the show and just kind of get some good movies out to people that maybe haven't seen them so I took a shot with Lauren, who also, who in turn took a shot with me, and I just said, "Hey, what do you think about hosting us for a podcast, like a live podcast?" And um, mm-hmm. 
she let me pick the film. Uh, it just so happened that while I picked In the Mood for Love, Wong Kar Wai's masterpiece, which I will also concur on, um, she had been looking into the Wong Kar Wai filmography for for showing, distribute, you know, showing as like right. a normal feature. So it was just, uh, you know, serendipity, I guess. And we both said, hey, let's do this. Um, took a lot of faith in me, you know, didn't charge me for anything in terms of like, I didn't have to pay the distribution fee or rent out any seats. She said, we're going to take, we're going to, we're going to take this risk and we're going to do it together. And uh, so we uh, set up uh, a live show ticket, you know, but the goal was for me to introduce the film screen it and then have a live podcast that originally we were we were going to try to get don on through like a skype thing but it ended up being a little too technically uh think uh technically uh, hard so uh we we invited for the fifth time on the podcast uh ben calamer who's been on four episodes already so he's one of our you know he's like one of our semi-regulars at this Mm -hmm. point he's he is, let's stay topical. He's like Whoopi Goldberg on Star Trek The Next Generation. He kind of shows <laughs> up every now and then to give us wise advice. But um, uh, but no, yeah, we we decided, you know, Ben would be the special co-host of the night uh, in Don's absence. And, um, you know, you know, things were going pretty well already with the sales. Um, but what really tipped us over the edge, and you can still find it online, is the Phoenix New Times um, interviewed me. And I did my best to represent Don and myself and the podcast history. And it must have worked because, um, you know, the live show, which you'll hear in a minute, um, mm-hmm. it was fully interactive. We had the crowd involved. So, um, you know, we we had questions. We had trivia. I won't tell you what the trivia is now. You'll hear it in a minute. Um, let me just say I managed to find a way to put Marvel in there somehow because, of course. Um, but... Um, you know, the crowd was engaged. We had a lot of interesting discussions about not just the film, but history and, and China and Vietnam and just all kinds of stuff. It was it was really fascinating discussion. And of course, Ben brought the thunder as he usually does with his amazing insight. Um, and we ended up selling more tickets to that show than any screening in all three Majestics in the Valley. Uh, so That's impressive. I mean, we beat Jackass. All that, day. That's really so, impressive. Yeah. So I would say it was, you know, for COVID and for, you know, it's about a 66 seat theater. I think we sold about 50. So we that, did really well. And that's really good. And then because they're showing it, they were showing it the next day when we're recording this intro on Monday, you know, all the ticket sales for that helps this event too because mm-hmm. of the distribution. So they sold at least 20 tickets for that, at least as of yesterday, and could have been more. So, uh, you know, yeah, so Majestic made off very well in this. And I think, you know, Lauren is uh, um, has some ideas. Um, you may hear some special podcasts in the future, more live shows. Um, uh, so uh, look forward to that. Uh, but it looks like something we can definitely do in the future, and we're really excited about it. And eventually we'll have to get Don in there and – you know, I'll find a way. Yeah, we've had some uh, interesting requests too. We had uh, Jeff. Uh, is it Jeffrey Wong? Is that how you pronounce the last name? I hope I'm yeah. saying that right. Jeffrey Wong. It might be it Wang, was, but yeah, it could be Wang. He he said something like, "Hey, you know, come out to L.A." And then a couple of people were like, "Hey, like, come to Chicago. We'll do it here." So let's take mm-hmm. this shit on the road if we got to. So I'm I, good with I'd that. Say, 
I say let's figure it out. One of these days we won't be school teachers. We'll have a summer vacation. We can pull stuff like that off. So. Oh yeah. Well, you know, I I was uh, you know uh, I don't know if this this did not make the recording, so I'll share this with you. There was a little bit of a snafu, technical snafu. Um, I was supposed to get five minutes to introduce the film, but something happened. Someone got a little trigger happy on the start. And when I started talking, there was like a minute and 15 seconds left. <laughs> so I mm-hmm. had to kind of condense my hilarious witty banter uh, down to about 45 seconds while trying to introduce the film. Um, and one thing that I will say, and I'm sure you appreciate this, Don, is the first thing I said to the audience was, thank you for being a room full of people who is not 12 and 13 years old. That's <laughs> and, right. Uh, because... You know, at first I was nervous, but then I was like, wait a minute, like I public speak all day and I talk Same to here. little yeah. children like so, you know, like uh, and so I said, you know, I, I could only get one joke off and you know how funny I am. I'm hilarious. <laughs> so I basically just said, hey, I really appreciate an audience that won't. Let's just put it this way. I use the term concert pianist in my lecture the other day. And of course, everyone went nuts and the room erupted into laughter and snickers and <laughs> so it's nice that I didn't have that kind of audience. Right. Uh, so that was, that was very helpful. Um, but you know what? It's uh, you know, it's, it's a dream of mine. I mean, the, I, I want to give all respect to the film bar and the scream Four event. It was, it was very good uh, experience for me and everything like that. But you know, because it didn't really, it was kind of, I was kind of co-hosting with some other people in the sense of like, I had a lot of people backing me on it mm-hmm. and it wasn't a true like cinephile hissy fit. Like I'm in there from the beginning kind of, you know, th- this was development to execution all. I mean, of course we had help like Lauren and stuff, but right. this was kind of my baby, this, this, this in the mood for love screening. So the fact that it turned out so well, I mean, it even shocked me. I mean, the fact that there was almost a full house, um, that we had such an interactive crowd. And the best part of it is, and you'll find this out in the recording, is that so many of the people that watched the film had never seen a one car Y before that's, and had never seen In the Mood for Love. That's impressive uh, because yeah. in this day and age, you feel like the who would who would come out on a you know Saturday Sunday night Saturday night Saturday night Sunday night. This was Sunday afternoon at three o'clock. Right. So who <laughs> on a Sunday afternoon is going to zero in on a subtitled foreign romance film? You would think, oh, just the people who love it. But when you get that many first timers, that's a special thing. Oh, and it was great. I mean, there were some people that were like had seen Wong Kar Wai, but not this one. So there was a little bit of that. Um, but yeah, I would say like 75% of the audience had not seen a single one car wife film, let alone in the mood for love. So it was just, it was a perfect introduction. And I knew that it must've worked. Well, I mean, cause first of all, it's on the big screen and, and majestic has fantastic theater. Mm-hmm. Um, the sound is great. The picture is great. And I'm not a technical guy, so I don't, it, it has to take a lot for me to recognize like technical aspects, but this restoration of in the mood for love was so gorgeous. I mean, it was, I mean, I was seeing like, like loose pieces of thread on Maggie Chung's dresses. I and bet. I was seeing little trails of smoke I had never seen before and like picking up cracks in the ceiling and stuff. Like it was mm-hmm. so exquisite and so detailed and so high def. It was, 
it was gorgeous. And I knew we were onto something because, you know, I'm not going to lie. I mean, like, I'm not throwing my dad under the bus here, but like, you know, you know, my dad and I, we watched like, you know, Forrest Gump and Predator and stuff like that. So I was, yeah. I, w- I was thinking like, you know, in the mood for love, he's going to be like Half bored out of his skull. Right. right. But Cup of coffee. He came, yeah. He, he came up to me after the screening and he said, that was one of the most gorgeous movies I've ever seen. It was beautiful. Yeah, it sure. And I was is. just like, Oh, thank God. I, I did something like I, I achieved something. I mean, I didn't even do anything and I did it. So it was, uh, I mean, like I said, it, it just, and plus I, I made a joke about this on Facebook. It was like Avengers assemble for me because not only did we have new people that I'd never seen before, but I mean, not only was Ben there to help out, but we got future guests like Michael Fett who's coming mm-hmm. up very soon. Um, uh, the BS movies podcast folks showed up. Paul from cinematic underdog showed up. Um, I mean, some of my, some of my best movie friends like Marissa Martinez and Laura Sloan and, and just, uh, just loads of people. And a lot of family showed up. It was just, it was, it's a perfect night, man. I cannot explain how great this event went. And, and the sound ended up looking pretty good. And I think so Mitch said there wasn't a problem. So I think you guys, it won't be like one of these things where as soon as me and Don get done talking, you know, you're going to hear like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's right. It's the, the sound quality was actually pretty impressive. So it just all worked out, man. This, I mean, it can't, it couldn't have gone any better. Very cool. No, I mean, folks, you're, you're in for a treat between the audio that comes with this episode. And if you go out and you seek out the film itself on the criterion channel or wherever you find your good stuff, it is an absolute gem. It is a, a pensive, but fascinating film where you can have the amount of passion that comes out of something that doesn't have physical passion is extraordinary. It's just on another level. And, and like, like, like your, like your dad said, it's one of the most visually gorgeous movies you'll ever see in your life. So sit back. you got a great show here. Um, if seek out the movie and we'll catch you at the end of this episode. We're recording now. We're going to go off format a little bit, but uh, this is Ben. I'm going to let Ben uh, introduce himself and uh, give some of his his resume, CV, as you if you will. Uh, I'm Ben Calamer, and I sound like I'm booming right now. Um, uh, I am a local fi- uh, can't speak. I'm a local film critic uh, in the Phoenix market. I am a member of the Phoenix Critics Circle. I'm also a member of Galica. Um, I um, write for, uh, let me see here. Um, a lot. Yes, I do. You're right. I have to come up with my resume and I forgot it. So I put you on the spot. <laughs> no, the movie put me on the spot. Oh, that's true. Um, I write for uh, the movie review. Uh, that's my own website. I also write for the cinema files. Um, and I actually started my own podcast uh, last year, um, essentially cinema, but uh, Will and Don have been gracious enough to ask me to co-host uh, this episode, and I've appeared, uh, what, three times, two times, yeah. my third time? Third time. Uh, um, on a, uh, um, on uh, Cinephile Hissy Fits. Um, uh, the first one was Blade Runner, Blade Runner 2049. That's right. Yeah. And the second one was The Card Counter and um, First Reformed. First Reformed. Yeah. Um, so we've run the gamut. This and is the fifth time. Fifth time you've been on. 
That's true. Did four separate episodes. episodes. Yep, that's right. Um, and uh, this, uh, so for um, everyone's information, I'm a noob when it comes to Wong Kar Wai. This was the first time that I've seen one of his films. Uh, and I think that this was probably one of the best introductions that I possibly could have had to um, uh, his style of filmmaking uh, and uh, his films in general. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to uh, give you some facts about the film. I'm actually kind of glad that uh, my countdown was cut a little short because I was afraid I might build the film up too much. I actually rewatched the film recently. And since I've been talking about it online and I don't know if any of you guys got to see the Phoenix New Times article that I was interviewed in, which was cool. Um, I've just been talking about this film for like two straight months. So like I started watching it again just to get some collective thoughts. And when you hype something up a lot, I remember I was watching the first 20 minutes. I was like, oh my God, what have I done? I've, I've hyped this up too much. But by the end of it, um, I mean, I just feel this movie in my bones. I mean, it just like, especially towards the end there, I mean, it just... It just it just seeps inside you. It's just one of those movies that's just hypnotic and it just mesmerizes you and kind of brings you in. So uh, before I get into some facts about the film, I do want to do some shout outs. So first off, I want to shout out to Lauren Knight, who was um, uh, did the introduction here. She gave me a shot at this. So please give her a round of applause. Um, I've got uh, Aaron and Danny do the cinematary and they gave me kind of the confidence to do this. So I'm very pleased uh, with that. Uh, Don Shanahan, my dumbass co-host <laughs> who's not here today. He's uh, We always butt heads a lot, but he's a good guy, and uh, he's been very supportive. It, we, we were going to try to do like a live thingamajig, but it, I don't know how to use technology. I'm using Zoom right now, so that's that's how advanced I am. Um, any Cinephile History Fit fans out there besides my aunt and my dad? Well, my dad doesn't even listen to an episode, so. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, we're coming up on 50 episodes. We're moving along pretty good. We've had almost a full year of content. So I appreciate that. Um, I want to thank Phoenix New Times um, and Ben for coming. But uh, a special person who is here today. Uh, oh, wait, no, I forgot. Brian and Shelly, sorry. <laughs> you guys are special too. I just forgot you on the list. But Brian and Shelly were, they got me into this community. I've worked for something like this for about five years because I met Brian and Shelly. They were doing their own podcast at the Film Bar. May you rest in peace and uh called bs movies i highly recommend you listen to their podcast and um they uh got me into this film scene introduced me to so many great people i wouldn't have met ben i wouldn't have met all these people i'm sitting here with and who came today to support me uh without their help so uh let's give them a nice hand there in the back so awesome for brian and shelly um, and then lastly, there is someone who has always, who is here, who has always been supportive of me, has always given me confidence, especially when I have been down on myself, which many people know that's quite often. <laughs> I'm always a little cynical, a little skeptical, but uh, uh, Laura Sloan is here in the back and she is uh, just a boom of support. She's helped me out with so much and uh, I wouldn't be here without her. So thank you, Laura. I appreciate it uh, for your help. Um, all right, so uh, let's do a little facts about this film real quick that you might be interested in, and then we're going to do some trivia, open any questions if you have them, uh, and then we'll just do a little brief discussion. I just We're not going to keep this very long. We're not going on format. Just going to get Ben's thoughts on this since he's a first-timer. Um, so Wong Kar Wai, how many people said they had seen a Wong Kar Wai, at least one Wong Kar Wai film before? Okay, so you guys have seen quite a few. Now, I know, Collins, you said you hadn't seen this one. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, good. So, all right. So we had a, how many first-timers for this movie or Wong Kar Wai in general? 
Okay. Oh, wow. Wow. That's great. All right. Um, a couple of things. BBC named this the second best film of the 21st century. So <laughs> that's high praise uh, indeed. Um, also, pretty simple film, I think, in terms of presentation. It's some production design, but not a very like, well, I, just, I wasn't going to say there's an extensive script because there was no script. And actually, China being China, they demanded to see the script for this film. And since Wong Kar Wai doesn't have a script, uh, he moved locations so that they wouldn't put any pressure on him to make the film different than how he wanted. So this was filmed mostly in Macau. Um, it took 15 months to film, uh, believe it or not, and about 40 minutes of the film was cut out. Um, there was a whole, you could, if you have the Criterion channel, they actually have a very uh, extensive deleted scene and behind the scenes, uh, you know, film, film stuff that you can watch. And the movie was in a whole different direction at one point um, because there was no script. They were just going off of things. And, and initially they did have an affair with each other. And it was a little bit more traditional, you know, like, uh, you know, there was, they fall in love and they sleep together and they're, they're torn apart. But Somewhere along the line, he realized that the unrequited angle was the better way to go, and he really retooled the whole film. That's why it took so long uh, to make. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I had there. Well, another thing is if you like these characters, uh, there is an unofficial trilogy by Wong Kar Wai of the, this film. This is the second part of the trilogy. It's called the Love Trilogy. Uh, the first one was his second film, uh, Days of Being Wild, just kind of like, it was 1990 or 91, so uh, Hong Kong cinema was still kind of in its John Wooey action phase, so it's a little bit of a mixture of that, but a little bit of this too. Um, and uh, the character of Chow, uh, Tony Leung, who's awesome in this, uh, shows up at the very end and you're like, who is that, why is this happening? And since the movie didn't do that well, they never made a sequel. So this is the spiritual sequel. And then very bizarre, has anyone seen um, 2046? Ryan, okay. So if you thought that this movie would have a sequel, a direct sequel that involved um, robots and futuristic trains and being set in the future, but also the past and would be kind of like the Avengers assemble of all of Wong Kar Wai's film. I mean, every single actor and actress that he's ever worked with shows up in 2046 and it's the continuation of his story as a science fiction writer. So it's Totally bizarre, and but worth it. It's just as beautiful as this, and the cast is, is insane. So if you ever want to complete this trilogy, Days of Being Wild and 2046. Uh, okay, so let's do a little trivia. Uh, we're going to have some um, giveaways here. Can I see this real quick? I'll, have, I'll give Lauren the microphone here. And Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah. Okay. All right, so the first thing is I ordered a poster for uh, In the Mood for Love, and... Um, as you can see, I thought it would be a little bit bigger, and it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's very small. Uh, it's very small, but it, you know the material is actually really cool. It's almost like a quilted kind of thing, and uh, it's a gorgeous poster, first of all. And uh, so I'm giving that away, and I'm going to make it the easy question because the other handout is uh, quite uh, quite the treat for anyone, especially if you're a Wong Kar Wai fan. So. Um, First up, Tony Leung, one of my favorite actors. He was Chow in this film. Um, despite being internationally known for decades, I mean, over in Hong Kong and in China, I mean, he's like Leonardo DiCaprio. He, he, you know, his, uh, his star is so high. And when he married his wife, who's also an actress who appears in a lot of Wong Kar Wai's films as well, I think her name's Karina Lau, if I got that right. Um, 
you know, they, their wedding was like the royal wedding in England. It was something that was just, you know, helicopters flying by trying to get photos. I mean, so he's a huge international star. However, And he's had a couple of crossover hits, uh, Infernal Affairs. He was in One and Three, which was remade by Martin Scorsese to The Departed. Uh, he was in Lust Caution, Ang Lee's film. Uh, but he's never, he's only been in one English language Hollywood film. And does anyone know what that film is? All right, Brian knows the answer to this. Shang-Chi uh, and the Ten Rings. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, because Collins is watching me and he's my Marvel guy, so I'm saying it correctly. <laughs> yes, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings was, believe it or not, at 56 years old, his debut as an English-speaking actor in Hollywood, despite his international fame. And if anyone's seen Shang-Chi, it's fantastic. and. Uh, he is the dad. Yes, he's the one who has the rings for most of the time, and he's phenomenal in it. I I thought he's the best part of the movie. I mean, he's just awesome. I mean, he's awesome at everything. If you ever can see him in films, he's he's great. So Brian wins the extremely tiny poster. Uh, can you hear me that, please? Okay. All right. Uh, the next uh, this one I guess will be kind of easy, and this will be some guest work here, and I'm. Fingers crossed someone in my family wins this so I can get it back. But uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, this is The Cinema of Wong Kar Wai. It's a, it's a coffee table book written by Wong Kar Wai and John Powers. It's a full interview. It's just number of interviews with like amazing uh, full uh, color pictures from the films. And it's, you know, it's very extensive. It's a beautiful book. Um, so, uh, and I had to practice this because uh, I was telling a couple people, um, outside when we were, when I was introducing people that um, there's a uh, Asian comedian named Ronnie Chang. And he says that uh, Chinese is Chinese and Japanese are probably the only languages that if you're not Chinese or Japanese, if you try to say them, especially if you're white, it sounds racist. So I am trying my best to say some of these Chinese words, but okay. So I'm sure everybody noticed Maggie Chung, who was the female lead in this had some gorgeous dresses in this film. They are called, and uh, trying to get this right, uh, Chung Sam. Uh, they're, uh, they're specific type of dresses. They're form-fitting. They have high necks, floral designs. They're just gorgeous, uh, gorgeous dresses. Uh, Wong Kar Wai was uh, stated for this film, he quote, the dress is not just a dress. It's Maggie, Maggie's character's mood. It's as if she's wearing this mood that day. So as I'm sure you noticed, she never wears the same thing twice. So... How many dresses, even if it didn't make it into production, because like I said, there's 40 minutes that were cut out of this film. How many dresses did Maggie Chung wear in this production? Dad? <laughs> Seven. Oh, God, you didn't watch the movie? Were you sleeping? <laughs> All right. Where, where am I going? Uh, right here. Well, here? Yep. Okay. How many? 42. So close, so close. Michael in the back, so close. No, up here was closer. It's in the 40s. Let's put it that way. Hope. How many? Oh, so close, so close. Josh, what do you say? 45. Oh, so close. All right, uh, Ian, right here. How many? 46. 46 is she had 46 different dresses. So I, it was not rigged. He's part of the family. It's not rigged, I swear. 
But uh, you also assume he's going to give it back to you. Though. I know that's, that that's true. I have. You I, don't owe him anything. You can keep. No, no. I have insulted him so many times because he's the nicest. He he's the nicest guy, and he'll always come up to me and be like, "Hey, man, did you see that movie? It was really great." And I'll be like, "No, it sucks." And uh, I've done that like forty-five times to him. So if he doesn't give it back to me, forty-six times. So there you go. So all right, cool. Um, okay, so before I get Ben's thoughts, because uh, I, me and Don are going to do a little introduction to the episode later, and we want to keep it short. We know you guys don't want to, you know, sit here forever, and we're not going to be here forever, so um, we're going to keep it short. But uh, does anybody have any questions about Wong Kar Wai, the film itself, anything like that that I can attempt to answer in my best way? Got a gentleman in a blue shirt. They were. I mean, it wasn't just an apartment; it was just one room in an apartment so they were just like you know they said at one point the son had moved out because he got married so i mean they were just in a tiny room i have no idea it's one of those kind of kramer seinfeld things where you don't know where he gets money or how the rooms work or anything like that but uh yeah i guess you just half the room was just these amazing uh chung som dresses so michael what's up so do you think uh wong kar wai could get away with making this film uh today in modern china well, this one, I think, is subtle enough that you could. He did make another film, which uh, I'm trying to get Ben to watch. Um, and we are going to watch it. We're going to do an episode on it eventually. He did a film called Happy Together, which is probably, next to this, probably my favorite film of his. And it's about um, Chinese expatriates in Argentina, and they're gay. And it, this is right before the handoff between England handing Hong Kong back to China. And it's... Um, really deals with that like stress of you know trying to figure out what you're going to do when you if you ever go home and you're, you're no longer accepted as much as you are so i think he's made other films that would be impossible to make now uh this one i think he definitely could i you know he's done a good job of finding ways to make films despite like i said no scripts and not necessarily making a lot of money he's, he's not a box office leader anywhere even in even in hong kong and china but um so yeah i think he could make this one i mean uh what do you think ben do you think I, he I, could make this one i was going to say don't forget france because they co-produced the film yes um and uh the charles de gaulle scene in vietnam was especially evocative but um i think without a script china might actually have a problem with the film oh okay yeah see i might that's my ignorance baby on China and how they make it. But uh, what, what what are your thoughts on it, Michael? You want to share with uh, the, the crew your thoughts on whether they could or not? Well, well, basically, just based on what I'm seeing from modern films coming out of uh, China more and more recently, mm -hmm. a lot of them seem, uh, uh, seem uh, more, and I can't get the right word out for it, and I, and I know exactly what the right word is, but uh, more where, you know, uh, country patriotism where they're kind of forcing certain stuff into the scripts uh, in their like a recent film. Uh, they kept saying uh, Captain China would always kick the crap out of Captain America's butt <laughs> uh, there. So I bet, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there. It's very, you know, I pa can't think of the right word for patriotic. it. Patriotic? Not patriotic, no. Yeah, what? nationalistic in there that they force in, and that does not have that really kind of mood in here. Yeah, for sure. I can see that. Uh, there's been a couple of recent controversies, I guess you could say. Uh, there's been a um, another cut of Fight Club that's come out in China where 
instead of everybody, instead of Edward Norton bombing all the buildings at the end, the Chinese police come in and save the day. Um, there's also like a whole half hour uh, thing in Iron Man three that that shows like Iron Man helping Chinese children and promoting like uh, the <laughs> the Chinese government. It's very bizarre. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of weird interference with that kind of stuff. So <laughs> I appreciate your thoughts on that. And Michael's going to be a guest soon. We have a lot of people in here are going to be guests soon on the podcast. So yeah, get to enjoy those uh, those words from them. But uh, anybody else have any questions, concerns about the movie, anything like that? I don't know why I'd say concerns. It's fine. <laughs> Oh, yes. Uh, do you know why they did without a script? Do I know why? Well, because um, Juan Carway just, he doesn't like to write scripts. He just likes to go intuitively with um, how he directs films. He just says, I'm going to put the camera here and see what emotions play out. And um, that kind of thing. Go ahead. I would imagine that he wrote an outline or a treatment of some sort so that he could uh have a an emotional outline of what sure. the characters were expected to do and then from there um uh probably found his locations mm -hmm. his costumes um lighting i'm kind of going into what i wanted to talk about but uh i i would imagine that he couldn't have made the movie without having some sort of an outline uh to identify what he wanted to accomplish with the movie and with the story and the rest of it fell into place probably um improvisationally um well, yeah because he totally i was gonna say flip the script but he yeah. didn't have a script but he changed the entire direction of where the characters yeah. went with this and yeah. so that and, had and to be compositionally done. yeah for sure yeah Anybody else have any comments, questions? Yes, sir. Yes. Cinematic Underdogs. If you guys haven't seen that, uh, not only because I was just on it, but uh, also because it's great. You should you should listen to that. Go ahead, Paul. Uh, promote your promote yourself on the. Um, you promoted me. You did a good job. Okay, cool. All right, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> um, I was just curious because I didn't remember the scene with Charles Legault we just mentioned. Mm -hmm. It seemed extremely out of place in many mm -hmm. ways, and I just wanted to hear your thoughts on that because it's historical footage suddenly and it's just spliced into the very end yeah I, i'm not like a despite teaching social studies here and there i'm not uh totally up to date with how that stuff works in terms of history but um i know that and that that final scene where he whispers the secret into the, the whole it wasn't a tree it was a building uh, but then it starts to grow which i thought was a nice symbolic image um, I know it takes place in Vietnam and, uh, so I don't, I'm not, I actually really don't know that whole part of the movie feels like another improvisational thing where he's going, I'm going to, you know, just film this part that I mentioned earlier. And it, like it does, it's, it takes place like five years later and it's just very, the music's different. Everything is very different about it. So I really don't, I've never actually really thought about it. So that's a great question, but Ben, I'm sure has, um, I don't know the exact reason why I can only guess but um i think it had to do with um the time that that sequence was set in um and also it had to do with um uh how the french and the vietnamese and the taiwanese and all of those nations during vietnam uh the vietnam war uh were impacted by each other and how they um how politically they were brought together um in order to end the uh the war and uh, a ceasefire um so i i think there's a um I, again i'm guessing but uh there's a, a delineation between their relationship 
uh, on and off and um, finally being able to separate and, and be able to share their secrets. And I, I think Michael has uh, a comment either to back me up or to correct me. Uh, yeah, as a history, uh, as a history, uh, uh, former history teacher and stuff, that uh, 1966 marks the beginning of the Cultural Revolution in China, and it basically kind of starts with the Charles de Gaulle thing in there, thing in there that you're talking yeah. about, uh, sequence in there that they're showing there. So it, it's a very important part of really to explain it. Everything is now new. Sure, definitely. Yeah. Oh yes, there there was that um, that translation uh, of the dialogue, something to the effect of um, the the past is. Um, uh, I can't remember ex exactly. I think it's like you can see it. It's a little fuzzy. You can't yeah. touch it. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So th there's a clear delineation between the past and the future at that point. But thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. Yeah. Anybody who's new uh, to this, uh, who saw it for the first time, what were your, what were your thoughts? What, what, uh, tell me what, uh, what was going through your head when this was going on, <laughs> when this movie was playing? Uh, it started off a little slow, but I feel like the atmosphere really uh, kept it engaging. Like the way that the sets were designed, the product, uh, production design, the costumes, the music, uh, and even the acting just kept it engaging. Nice. Nice. Anybody else have a strong opinion one way or the other? You're not going to offend me if you didn't like it. You're you not tell going me. to offend me either. <laughs> I was honestly just really confused, like mm -hmm. midway through. But mainly what was going through my head is, hmm, they really use the song a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. They do. Yeah. He's, um, has anyone seen um, Chunking Express? Yeah. Yeah. Wong Wise, kind of probably his most famous film next to this one. Uh, he uses what was it, California Dreamin' in that? A uh, like, well, it's because he used forty six again, forty six times. He uses California Dreamin' in that a lot. Uh, he's he likes to be repetitive with the music, and uh, yeah, it took me it took me uh, the first time I watched it. I remember being kind of like, wait, they're are they kind of pretending to have an affair, and then they they kind of do have an affair, but in a different way. It's it's kind of subversive. It's interesting, but it does take a, I actually think it's one of these, uh, Lauren and I were talking about this. I think it's one of those films that benefits from multiple viewings, you know, if you can do it. I had, yeah. the timeline was a little bit confusing for me as well. So you're not alone in halfway through the middle being like, where, <laughs> where are we in this? Yeah, no. <laughs> that was me, so. No, it makes sense. Yes, sir. Yeah, like 2046, where I, I, you really had to concentrate. Oh, uh, yeah, 2046 yeah. was... The first time I watched 2046 was on Pluto TV. So there was commercials. So there was uh, the movie was like five hours long. It was like endless, uh, but it's good. It's very good. I recommend watching it uh, not with commercials and not on Pluto because the, the formatting was terrible. Um, but yeah, 2046, which is also uh, also the name of the apartment number where they write their martial arts stories um, is, is a great film. If you guys can check it out, it's, it's, it's probably even more confusing than this because it'll it'll go from like this advanced cityscape with this uh, massive bullet train uh, and then it'll go back to the 60s and then it'll be about robots and it's really bizarre, but it's really good. <laughs> Anybody else? Yes, sir. 
So it's it's not my first time, but I had a comment on sure. something that I noticed watching it again. I wasn't trying to follow along as much. I was just trying to like appreciate nice little details. And I think one of the things that makes this movie so not difficult, but just interesting the first time you watch it. Um, well, let me just say what it was that I caught. Sure. They were having a conversation about who initiated the affair between their partners. Mm -hmm. And that scene, that conversation plays out twice back to back. And the first time it happens, he kind of reaches out and touches her. And then the scenario is flipped mm -hmm. and they say all the same stuff, but she kind of reaches out, you mm -hmm. know, and initiating. So they're kind of describing all of these things that are happening off camera through touch, through implication. And I think that's why it's, you know, difficult the first time you see it, but when you kind of let it happen, mm -hmm. there's a lot of beautiful hidden little moments like that throughout the movie. And I think that would be difficult to do with a script. So it was it was really yeah. fun to revisit. I, I would recommend anybody who's seeing it for the first time, give it a couple months and then come back. Yeah, it's, it's playing. A, thank you for the comments. It's awesome. Um, yeah, it's playing. It's it's all over the place. It's on Criterion. It's also on HBO Max. So you can catch it anytime, pretty much. It's a really pop. It's probably his most popular film, I think, next to Chunking Express. So, um, well, I'm going to give it over to Ben. I want I want to since he was a first timer as well. Um, I'd like to get his take on this. And uh, so tell me what was going through your head when you when you watch this and. Uh, I guess, you know, what were you expecting from someone who's kind of a, not a legendary name, but a famous name in the cinema world? <laughs> you know, what were you expecting and how did it deliver? I had no expectations coming into this. Uh, I tried to read very little about it. Um, I know at one point you recommended that I watch it. And then uh, I think I mentioned that it would be better if you got my fresh take. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I have to say that I was blown away by the movie. Oh, um, wow. nice. The, the visual aspect, the use of color, the costume design, the lighting, um, I could go on at and ad infinitum about the technical merits of the film. Sure. Um, but what struck me um, was the use of color in backgrounds there's never not a scene where there's not a pattern of color either on the wall or on a tie or on a dress mm -hmm. um uh the frescoes um you know uh, this is a very emotional movie and color and costume design at the risk of repeating myself uh really inform the emotional states of the movie and uh, I can understand why it seeps into your bones, for mm -hmm. lack of a better phrase. But um, just a really well done movie. Uh, I definitely want to watch it again. Um, you mentioned his other film that uh, um, you've been pining for me to watch. Mm -hmm. Happy um, Together. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, I really want to explore his works as a result of seeing this film. And I'm glad that my first experience was on the big screen, because if I had watched this on a laptop or even my 55-inch TV at home, which is nothing to snuff at, I think the big screen impact really um, 
it, it uh, resounds more with the audience in terms of, of what it's supposed to convey. And yes, I agree. Some of the, the timeline is probably a, a little muffled in certain points, but um, it's, it's not, its effect doesn't disconnect the viewer from the experience. Well, I think that describes kind of the love experience too. Yeah. I mean, um, it was so funny the other day I was, uh, I was going through some stuff, uh, in my house, uh, some of my mom's stuff that she had stored. And, um, I found some pictures from eighth grade. And, uh, the thing that always defines my eighth grade experience was the first time I ever fell in love. I was this redneck from Tampa, Florida, but never <laughs> seen a Hispanic woman before. And then there she was Luisa de la Torre. She was there in eighth grade. And I remember just being blown away. And it was one of those things where like, I could, you know, I just stare at her all the time and it was just embarrassing, you know, but she was, she was very nice, but it's funny because we actually reconnected and, you know, in my mind, She's always been that eighth grade crush and like it's she's only existed as that. Yeah. But she's a real person with who's lived the last, you know, 25 years or whatever, right. however long it's been since eighth grade that actually has real experiences. So I think when they talk about like, you know, you can you can see the past. It's a little murky. You can't touch it. Like, yeah, you kind of forget that sometimes when you have those emotions, you put them in this special space and then you kind of forget that they, you know the people move on from that. It's not your own personal movie, you know, like they actually have a life and they get married and have kids and do crazy things. And, you know, that's just kind of how love works. I yeah, think. Right. Um, the framing is also important. Um, there were several shots uh, where the characters stood behind um, bars mm -hmm. on the windows as if they were trapped. Um, mm. Um, mm. A, a lot of subtext, a lot of emotions, a lot of context. Um you know, I, I really want to see it again because uh, I, I think that even I missed a couple of things. Sure. But that's what stood out immediately for me. Um, and it, I, it's it's a worthy film of a rewatch. I'm a big fan of uh, subtlety in acting. Yeah. Um, I think I talked about this on the pod before. Like there was a year at the Oscars that really made me mad because uh, it was the year that uh, Bill Murray was up for Lost in Translation and he lost to Sean Penn. And the, the clips 92. they showed does Mystic River. So it was like, 2003 or something okay. like that and uh, they showed the clip and in the clip sean penn's like screaming and being held back by people and it's very loud and you know it's a lot of emotion it's a powerful performance but like to me like what bill murray was doing in lost in translation by not having any emotions is kind of conveying everything with his eyes and his facial expressions was award-winning to me and this film it's really interesting because maggie chung who is gorgeous i i, I have massive crush on her um you know, when you follow her career, it's it's all over the place. I mean, she she started out with like she's in a lot of Jackie Chan movies as kind of like the hapless girlfriend. Yes. And she's very goofy and kind of like not pathetic, but just kind of like, oh, my God, Jackie, the, you know, the, like that kind of thing. The damsel in distress. Damsel in distress. And then, then she became an action star. And then she became, you know, then this very serious, dramatic actress. And uh, so she has a lot of expression and she can be very expressive, but in this film, she's very contained. I mean, it's when she cries, like you like really feel it. Cause you're just like, man, she's letting it out. Like she's all that emotion that's caged in is just coming out. Yeah. So she's great. And then, um, and I can't say enough about Tony Leung. I just think he's, you know, uh, first of all, he doesn't, he's like, he's like Paul Rudd. He doesn't age. He looks exactly the same now. Like when you watch Shang-Chi, he looks exactly the same as he did. This was in 2000. So we're talking 22 years later. I mean, he's been in film since 
the eighties, uh, early eighties. And he just looks exactly the same, but he, he doesn't eat McDonald's and Burger King. That's true. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, yeah, he's, I mean, he has the subtlety stuff going on too. I mean, just some of the emotions, I mean, yeah. there's, when we talk about love and I assume everybody in this room has been in love at some point, <laughs> I mean, unless I hope so. Cause it's you know, something you want to experience, but, uh, sorry, Ben. Uh, that's okay. Okay. I, I get the emotion, but I've never been in love. Oh, took a dark turn i'm sorry about this <laughs> all right so everybody else most everybody else fall in love but you know sometimes when you one thing i really appreciate about this film is i'm sure a lot of us have had unrequited love as well where like the person i mentioned louisa delta i wish she wanted nothing to do with me so you know and that you know that never happened but you know um there's moments where like they you can see it on tony leung's face where he's just you know sometimes like love it's not just lust it's not just sex it's not just you know being intimate and touching each other sometimes it's just the presence of someone is an honor in itself you just want to be next to them you know what i mean and he has moments like that where he's you can see in his eyes he's staring at her and he's like just catching a glance and he's like the the when they get stuck in the room together like for someone who clearly like she wasn't quite i mean i think she loved him too but in a different way he loved her like that was like the dream for him because he got to spend the entire night it wasn't about sex it wasn't about touching each other he just got to be in her presence and it was just so beautiful because we've all been there when you're like you're hanging out with a girl or guy and you're just like oh man i just i love spending time with this person like i'm gonna grab on to every moment i I can have you know especially when if they don't like you but you're just relishing that moment so i'm sorry something's been bothering me on the table here yeah, what's uh, up? you have an unrequited love for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yes, unrequited love. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a firm believer in the we thing. I get I get crap for that all the time. Yeah. But I, when we when we win, we win. So you know that's what it is. But this is my time of loss. Tom Brady is retired. Leave me alone. <laughs> give me some. Give me a break. Uh, what What is it? An urn? Is that an urn, Collins? <laughs> Oh, it's just I'm a mug. Kidding. Okay, we're just kidding. We're just kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm this kidding. is Tom Brady's urn uh, <laughs> <laughs> that I got a gift. But I, I mean, I got to come here. I well, and we'll wrap things up because I know you guys want to go home. But uh, yeah, no, thank you for the gifts. First of all, thank you for coming. This is awesome. I'm hoping that this was a success and we can do more of these. And I hope you come out to see more of these. Yes, and thank you. Um, I got all kinds of stuff I want to show everybody. Uh, so uh, that's going to be fun. Um, any comments, anything else before we wrap up the pod? You want me to show Chunking Express? I I would. Oh, that was you. Okay, yes, I responded to you and I said, maybe I will. Um, so, yeah. I think it's still fun. Oh, yeah. And Tony Leung is in that one as well. And he's awesome and a very different character. Yeah. Go ahead, uh, Michael. So, what is your next film that you're going to show? Well, that's up to the powers that be. Uh, I would like, I would personally like, and it, it might draw a bigger crowd too, is uh, I'm a big Shane Black guy. So kiss, kiss, bang, bang, nice guys, something like that. That might, uh, or maybe even some of his written work, like uh, Long Kiss Goodnight, Lethal Weapon, something like that would be super fun. Oh, he made Predator. We don't talk about Predator. <laughs> I actually... Title, so it's off limits, yeah. yeah, I actually like Predator. Uh, I mean, it's not great it's compared to his other stuff, but I think Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and The Nice Guys is in my top 10 all the time. Both of those are just amazing films. So 
That would be the dream, but Chunking Express is on the list for sure. So, huh? Wait, which one? The like the Predator? Like the original? All of them? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, you're you're right. You have great taste, sir. That's totally doable, though. Shane Black would be fun. Yeah, which I one? I to do a cinematary oh, with you too, like doing a cinematary. Ooh, with you and Aaron and Danny, Ooh. like doing a horror cinematary podcast. Oh, I'd love um, to do that. That would yeah. be wonderful. Yeah, I love cinematary. By the way, you guys have to come out to cinematary if you can. It's it's a blast. I've taken my aunt, who's not a horror person, to many a screening. We saw like From Beyond, and what else did we see? The which one? Oh, the uh, crawl, which was great. I took my daughter to that. And she oh, there was, was a gator there. We had there gator. was a live gator there. That was awesome. My daughter actually touched the gator, and then chopping mall. Chopping mall yes, yes. Chopping mall was so fun. Yes. Yeah. So no, I'm telling you, this place is great. You guys got to come for all their special events like this one. Thank you for showing up for Cinephile Hissy Fit on behalf of Ben and myself. Thank you for coming out. You guys are awesome, and enjoy your rewatch of In the Mood for Love. <laughs> Well, everybody, I hope that you had um, an insightful listen. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we we always hope for that um, when we do Cinephile Hissy Fit. But, you know, sometimes you really can't get too deep on Kong versus Godzilla, you know? So That's true. Or and Godzilla this one, versus Kong or whatever the hell it was called. <laughs> yeah. And something like this is special. And I can't wait for the opportunity to do another one of these things, you know, these these live shows. And once again, thank you. I'll extend it the same as Will did. Thank you to the Majestic. Thank you to Lauren. We'll get – can't wait to see what we got next. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we'll do the normal spiel here. I want you to uh, – you know, we're still coming back. We got uh, – this was a Valentine's Day episode for you of sorts. Uh, but we've got our normal schedule coming back up uh, next week. Uh, so as usual, follow us on Twitter at Cinephile Fit and on Facebook at Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast. Also find us both on Letterboxd. Uh, we really appreciate your captive audience and social media participation. But this time, especially to the crowd that showed up uh, in Tempe, Arizona. Thank you so much for being a captive audience for me for about three hours. Uh, Cinephile Hissy Fit is a 25YL media podcast brought to you by RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. We are also on Rotten Tomatoes. If you enjoyed this show, hey, you know what? We're also on another thing now, aren't we? Uh, I am on the Banana Meter, folks, a yes. new alternative to Rotten Tomatoes. Keep an eye out for that. Uh, we're trying to uh, kind of collect different voices and different critics because even Rotten Tomatoes, even though they've open their doors in the last few years to attempt to be more diverse and include more things than print journalists. There's a lot of talented folks, and a lot of smart people out there who still write, still podcast, especially the podcasters where they don't get that kind of voice in Rotten Tomatoes if they don't have enough of a website clout. So keep an eye out and seek out on Twitter and on social media, the banana meter. You'll see some new ratings and things coming in there. We're going to get Will Johnson on the roster soon enough. Eh, well, I see if I'm qualified enough, but I'm going to try. Uh, and who knows? I mean, maybe if I don't make it into what's it called again? Um, rotten Tomatoes. No, not oh, Rotten Tomatoes. The other the one, the banana, banana meter. Yeah. Okay, so it's not something like sweltering banana or something. It's just the not banana yet. meter. Okay, right. Maybe I'll make it onto the salty watermelon or whatever. I don't know. But anyway, the point is, we'll get on there. That's another alternative for you to check out for unique reviews, and we are. The Cinephile Fit banner is on there, so I wanted to give them a shout-out as well. So, um, 
But if you enjoyed the show, um, Ruminations Radio Network has a lot more where that came from. Uh, they got wonderful programs, interesting hosts. Um, our show and others are available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite podcast. And uh, I think, you know, unless Mitch cuts this out, <laughs> we we kind of had a, a nice little funny mic check to test the sound Ooh. with uh, former guest Lauren Knight. I mean, we're not is talking this a, about Is this a post credit scene from the it's, Marvel show? Yes, it's a post credit scene. I would say it's a mixture of a post credit scene and uh, maybe like a Jackie Chan movie where he shows you all the stunts where he like broke his labrum or something. Nice. Uh, I don't know if it's that violent, but uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, check that out. Uh, enjoy a little peek behind the curtain of the production of the live show. All right, we're doing a sound test, Cinephile Hissy Fit live show. We got Lauren in the back with the mic. Ready? I'm ready. Um, I have a question. How did he direct the movie and stuff? How did he know where to put the cameras and and stuff like that? Do you know? Oh, yeah. I'm assuming it's a film school thing, you know? And he learned from Marty Scorsese, you know, the true cineasts, you know? So, okay. Thank you for taking my question. Thank you for your wonderful question. All right. All right. I'm going to hit. Turning the mic off. Try that. Okay. Uh, let me see. Cancel. We're still recording. Yes. Still recording. All right, Ben. Um, why do you usually hate every movie that I like? And do you like this one? Because you haven't seen this before. <laughs> um, I actually really like this movie and I thought it was great and that it represented uh, the the longing of a love that that we can't that we can't have because we've all been there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you never you didn't sleep through it at all. You were wide awake. Yes, I was 100 <laughs> percent into it. And I absolutely watched the whole thing from start to finish. <laughs> all right. Cool. <laughs> all right. Let's. Uh...